Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Todd Roberts, and welcome back to the fourth Sunday after Pentecost for the week of July 3rd, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited because this is the time of year, at least in the area that I am, that we are celebrating a lot of countries' Independence Day. We had Canada Day this last week. We have Independence Day here in the United States the day after this, so there is a lot of patriotism that can be centered around this Sunday, and it can make it a little bit difficult to kind of wrestle with when you're dealing with these texts as we'll get into. But I think it's also a time where it can allow for us to reflect, think about the sacrifices, think about the people and how much work it took to be able to come up with democracies and work to be able to make them happen in reality. And I think one of the pieces of that that kind of gets overlooked is the amount of cooperation that it actually took. It didn't mean digging into the trenches and fighting super, super hard. It means that, yes, you can have a strong stance on something, but it also means that how do you come together as a group of people to be able to put the greater good ahead of yourself? And I think that's one of the things that's really admirable about recognizing these independence days is the cooperation that it took to actually make happen. So that to me is exciting. We are also halfway through the year of 2022, which is exciting, crazy how fast that's all happened. But here we are, and there's nothing we can do about it. We are now in July. So let's talk about the question that we had for last week. Are you willing to innovate in your own faith? And as a whole, are we willing to innovate in our faith? And I think we got a response this week that I thought was really good, talking about how we need to let younger folks be able to lead. And I think this is one of the things that has kind of been laid on me more and more. As I am 30, I feel that I am on the back end of this innovative phase. Like, yes, I still have a lot of ideas, and yes, I'm willing to input a lot of ideas on where I feel as a broader church we should be moving, but I also recognize that there's a lot of great and better ideas and where I can then start to maybe see where they come in and how to implement them coming from our younger folks who are younger than I am. And I think that's the challenge within the church is, in willing to innovate and being willing to innovate means we need to let go of things that we want to have control of. And it also means that we have to allow to give the keys to people who at times it might seem to be reckless, but I think there's a lot of times, especially me working within youth ministry, I think there is a point where we recognize that they understand the responsibility of that and they really are honored to be able to have the keys to something like that. So I think that's an important part of it. But it means also as a church, as a whole, we need to be willing and able to be flexible and to try new things and be willing to see something fail, be willing to let go of things, but realizing that's all steps forward in being able to help us move forward the ministry in and of itself. So let's jump into the text for this week. One of the altar texts for the first reading is from 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. This is the healing of Naaman. Naaman is a commander within the army of Aram, which is an enemy of Israel. And he is suffering from leprosy and is this kind of 
really key leader. He gets permission from King Aram to go to Israel after hearing from his wife that there's this Israel, the people, their God that can do healing. He then goes to the king of Israel with this letter, kind of letting him know this is my servant, cure his leprosy. The king tears his clothes in two. But Elisha hears about this, says, send him my way. Naaman comes to Elisha's house. Elisha sends out a messenger. So doesn't even go and see him himself and says, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored. Naaman gets upset with this, stating, you know, there's all these other rivers around me. Why couldn't I go to those? Why do I come all the way here? He doesn't have the decency to even come out and talk to me. It's going to send a servant out to me. And it's the servants of Nahum that kind of reiterate, if this was difficult, would you have not have done this? How difficult really is this? He goes, he does this, and he is made well. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 30. And this is then recognizing, which I find interesting, on how the Lord works within us and it helps us to overcome our enemies. And that as we continue to have this relationship and continue to call out to God, God continues to provide in that. And that even though we might be, and verse 5 probably be one of the most familiar, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime, weeping may linger for a night, but joy comes in the morning, talking about how God looks at things. And I think even times within our lives, how there's times where we're angry with God, it doesn't last forever. It might happen for the night, but the joy comes when we wake up in the next day or over a period of time. And that in all of this then, that God is continuing to move forward his mission by us working and helping with it. And that this is something that we're helping God with, but God has also designed us to be that and recognizing that fulfillment within our own lives as we do that. The other Old Testament text is from Isaiah chapter 66 verses 10 through 14. This text is again a very encouraging text and we have to recognize the fall of Jerusalem and the rebuilding process is going on at this point. And so we're getting this rejoicing for all those who mourn over the loss of the temple And that here we get God looked at as a mother nursing a child on on their knee, just letting him suckle and and taking care. And the things we do with a child to make sure they recognize they're loved, they're cared for, they're, they're fed, they're nourished, they're loved, they're held, they're in the mother's arms. And I think this idea of how even though things look real bad at this moment for the tribe of Israel, that God is still with them. Things will flourish. You just got to give it time and you just got to recognize that God has them in the palm of his hand and is just carrying them and holding them. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 66 verses 1 to 9. And this is then rejoicing in that being a joyful noise, recognizing the name of God and recognizing all the amazing and powerful things that God has done. And when that is encompassed, realizing that he turned the sea into dry land, realizing that he's passed through the river on foot and we rejoice in him. This whole idea of looking around us and recognizing the amazingness of what God has done around us. So thus we should recognize that.
The second reading is out of Galatians chapter 6, optionally verses 1 to 6, and then 7 through 16. This is the last week we're in Galatians as this little three-week mini-series. And here we have to remember a couple things. One, Paul writing to the people of Galatia. Two, Paul, this is seen as kind of toward the end of his ministry, and there's questions on how good his eyesight is. And that is especially evident here in verse 11. See what large letters I make when I am writing in my own hand. The idea of how Paul is almost telling this to the author of who's writing this down, and Paul just takes it out of his hand and starts writing on the end of the letter. But here, Paul is recognizing that whenever we are transgressing, that we should have this spirit of gentleness to help each other in that. Bear one another's burdens, coming out of verse 2. This idea that we are working together in this and that we are a body together, that this is not something that we all carry on our own, that yes, we all carry our own loads, but we are also taught to share in that and carry together and realizing that in that, then God is working and helping in that. And so this idea of how we can get caught up on the law, caught up on things that we are humanly constructing can make it actually difficult to lay out the mission instead of actually working together to be able to carry the burden together to bring us to where God is calling us to be. Realizing that in verse 15, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is everything, but a new creation is everything. This idea of whether you are following this law or this law isn't the biggest thing. It's that we're working together in being that new creation is what really is important. And so that is what I find really interesting in that we're working together in doing that. The gospel text this week is out of Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 11 and 16 through 20. The section that they omitted is the woes, but we'll get into that here in a second. But this is where Jesus has appointed 70 people to go out in pairs into the towns and go and do the work in which he's calling them to do. And that, you know, the famous line, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord for the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And this is where we then get the idea of, okay, you're going to be going out as a lamb into the midst of wolves. And actually in the Greek, it is like a singular lamb in the midst of like a pack of wolves. But do not carry a purse or bag or sandals or anything. That this is a kind of, again, you're working together as a team, these two people, and that you are going in and you don't have anything. And then you're asking and trusting that God is going to provide. And that if the people do, you stay there, you you relish that. And if they don't, you wipe the dust off your sandals and you keep moving. And what they find when they come back, they're surprised, but they're joyful as they were even able to have demons casted out and submitting to them. And then Jesus giving us these interesting lines of how he watched from the beginning of time, how Satan fell from heaven like a flash of lightning, and yet that there's this power that is given as long as we are working together with God, and I would argue as a group, and that this is something that we shouldn't be rejoicing, but realizing that the rejoicing is for in heaven and rejoicing in what God is doing. So... Before we jump into how faith and science comes together this week, we have to do our shameless plugs for 
Working Preacher. If you have a church Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcasts or commentaries or discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to be able to look at three to four different seminary professors working in their Working Preacher podcast, along with multiple years of commentaries. I find it really helpful to be able to look back and see how different biblical scholars are looking at this stuff. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend that. The other thing that I would highly recommend is checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I find it really helpful. I like how they lay out the text each week. But as I've stated before, I really enjoy looking at the art. Why? It's really fun to be able to look at how different people throughout time, throughout space, throughout life have looked at these texts. And it's fun to be able to interpret these texts through the eyes of a different artist. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. This is a difficult text as a preacher. But what I think we also have to recognize in this is that look at how much in all these sections of scripture, the people are dependent on other people. Even in the gospel text here, Jesus is sending the people out in pairs of two, bringing nothing, and then trusting that God is going to continue to provide. Why? I would argue for two reasons. One, to make sure that it helps humble the person, realizing that it's not purely about them. Because there's another person there that it's about we. It's about the group and what God is doing, making it easier for us to acknowledge that this isn't just our ability, but God's ability within us as a people. And that when we are working together, look at what we are able to accomplish. And that we are able to accomplish more being that we are working together. And in that, it's keeping us humble. If you look at the story of Naaman is a perfect example of how Naaman probably wouldn't have done what Elisha had told him to do if it was purely by himself. It's the encouragement of his servants saying, how hard is this? Why not give this a try? In that, then Naaman actually starts to recognize that, oh yeah, this isn't that difficult. I can at least try this and something greater comes from it. We look at even the Galatians text on how Paul is writing that instead of pointing the finger at each other, how about you come together, realize that everyone is carrying a load, but we're working together in this and look at how much more we would be able to accomplish as the body of Christ than if we were as an individual doing this on our own. Where we have then Israel being recognized that I am still with you. You will be able to become this great place. I'm holding you right now. But you will work together as you you are all comforting each other just as I am comforting you. And you will be able to rebuild Jerusalem in a way where I am steering you to be. There will be times where we flourish because of working with me and being humble enough to be able to share in the hurts and in the joys together instead of taking pure credit yourself. And when I was thinking about this, this last week, I ended up going to a wedding in southwestern United States uh, to my sister-in-law and her now husband, Raphael. Hannah and Raphael, congratulations. But I got to see, for me, something that I have never seen before. And it's something that I have 
written about when I was in grade school and it's something I was really excited to see, and that is Harris Hawks. And the reason that Harris Hawks are so fascinating is they are the only bird of prey that we have observed that hunts in packs. They hunt in groups. They're a bird of prey that hunts in groups. What typically happens is that you have the parents and you have, you know, the young nest, the eggs that they had, and they have a one or a small group of their first years, the ones who were last year's nestlings. And so what happens is that they will have usually like the nestlings go down and they're on the ground and they're trying to flush or move around or get the prey to get out from their hiding places. And being in the Southwest, they're up on cacti and there's a lot of little brushes and little bushes and different things, tumbleweeds, different things that are in the way. So if you can put something on the ground to maybe see something and kind of get it to move and also bringing it down to eye level for the prey, it gets them scared so they move. Well, what does that do? Now you have a moving target and it's somewhat focused on, I just got to run and now you have aerial on that. And now you have multiple birds, so usually at least two, to potentially come in with its talons. They have trained themselves on when they're coming down to attack, that they're not doing major wing beats, but little wing beats to kind of do small adjustments so that they don't even really feel a huge wind gust and snag their prey and be able to bring it back to the nest, but also sharing in this food together. Scientists have actually recognized this thing happening, and it, one of the hypotheses on why they do it is that they are noticing they are the most successful hunters of birds of prey across the board. They think they are two times more successful because they work in groups. And what does that actually mean? That means that, yes, you can feed more people. Yes, it probably means you don't have to hunt as often. And that you have multiple people working together and thus then they are successful more often than if they were by themselves. I think this just reiterates these texts so much. How often within our own faith lives we feel that we have to take it on ourselves. I think in a lot of ways churches as individual churches feel we have to do this ourselves instead of actually working together with other churches as much as we should. And the funny thing is, especially kind of being behind the curtain, it's amazing how much pastors will work together with other pastors, but yet then the congregations don't see that. How often could we as congregations be working together to do something greater than what we could be able to do by ourselves? Are we open to that idea? Are we humbling ourselves enough to be able to do that? Within our own faith, do we recognize that there are times that there might be things that we are striving to do ourselves that would really be better if we had a small team around us to be able to do something greater than what ourselves could do? It's something I wrestle with with this podcast. This is basically a one-man band. And there's times where it's like, is there times that I am holding myself back because I don't have the people around me to be able to help me with this? And, and how do I even offer to do something like that? But I think in the same breath, within our own faith lives, within our own lives, how often do we do that ourselves? That we feel like this is the task that I have been burdened with, that God has told me that I need to do, and this is the what God has created me to do, 
And yet, how often throughout Scripture we are told that I've provided a helper. Not only am I here, but I'm trying to provide helpers for you. And when you look into the text, the people of Galatia, for instance, are fighting over different laws and fighting over like the circumcised versus the uncircumcised. And here, Paul is kind of calling them out and saying, it's not about that. It's about the body of Christ and being that new creation and about working together and doing that. The Harris Hawks have figured that out. They figured out it's way easier and more successful in a harsh landscape being in the southwestern part of the United States and actually standing into South America, going through Central America, that it's much easier to work together as a small pack of birds acting like a pack of wolves. I, it's hard for me to say pack. It feels like it should be a flock, but I've never heard of a flock of hawks before. But working as a group to hunt, to move things around, to scare things up, to have greater possibilities, being able to have something from the air, recognizing maybe where it's going to be going and getting out ahead of it. And that's the beauty of the diversity of the church. That's why we need all these different ages mixing together because there are ideas and things that I'm going to scare up or people even that the younger age, as I was stating before, are going to ruffle feathers and say, we should try this. And it gets things moving. And it's then the key of the older members, the elder members of the congregation being able to fly over and say, this might work. There's things that are starting to work or okay, if this is going to work, we have to make sure we don't steer it this way because I've seen this before. You know, that mixing of generations to be able to help us understand these things. The reason that you have the parents being the ones who are flying is because they have the most experience. They've seen the most things. You would think have the highest possibility of being able to kill the prey because they have the most experience. Are we doing that within the church? Are we doing that within our own faith life? Are we allowing enough people in to be able to help us with these different tasks, to be able to actually multiply what God is doing? It's amazing when you look at like the text here in Galatians, it's trying to bring people together, realizing the differences of what you're talking about really don't move the needle. You are a new creation within Christ. And ponder and work on what does that actually mean? And how does that live out? And how does that mean with your neighbor that maybe doesn't see things the exact same way that you do? How do we live that out? The Isaiah text of God being this comforter, but also in the same breath, helping everyone recognize everyone's going through pain right now. This sucks. This sucks. Jerusalem is destroyed and it hurts and it's sucking and I I get it. But realize I'm here comforting you. Realize that I know what is coming and things will get better. And there will be a time where you will be able to rise up against these enemies that have destroyed this. But it's going to take working together to do that. Look at how Naaman has to work together and what seems to be a simple task, he almost doesn't do. It's the encouragement of others that gets him to that place. But even to get to that place, it was the king getting a referral from one of his mistresses saying that there's people over in Israel might really be able to do something. How many people got him to that point? The people working together to be able to get to this point. Are we honestly working together as a church within our own faith lives, within our own bodies, working together as the body of Christ to do things? Are we doing that? Are we recognizing how much greater this can be when we work together? So the question I have for you this week is, where do we need to work together instead of individually? And I think this is something that transcends even faith. 
I think it transcends into society. And especially with me being in the United States, I feel a lot of tension and division. These places where we're not working together instead of cooperation. And especially maybe I'm in this idea as I reflect on what it took to make this country this country and the sacrifices and compromises it took working together to get to these places and how much better we were and are because of that. Instead of being entrenched into certain ideas and saying it's my way or the highway, realizing that we need to be able to work together to do that. And I think within our own faith life and churches and society, we struggle with this. And I think it is intentional that here is Jesus sending them out in pairs of two. Wouldn't you be able to do more individually? Realizing that there needs to be support. Realizing there's going to need to be people to help keep them humble and not be boastful. Realizing that in doing that, it helps be able to keep it humble enough to be able to recognize it's God working through them. Do we allow for that to happen? Do we allow ourselves the space to be able to recognize that? The beauty of what I see with the Harris Hawk is it recognizes that. There still might be times it goes and gets something on its own. But the thing is, when it's going and killing hares, they're bigger than themselves. And that's what's so amazing is they kill prey that's much bigger than themselves because they work as a team. And then everybody gets some. And then they share it so that they continue to teach and learn that this is a teamwork thing. This is not an individual thing. And look at how much greater they are able to be. There's links down below. It's amazing how they hunt. Brothers and sisters, I really hope that we are taking this to heart. These are things that we can't just be individuals on. We have to work together. That means we have to sit in difficult conversations and listen and work together on things, even when it's hard and not just throw up our nose and walk out of the room because you don't see things the way that I do. Realize where is the common ground and let's work from there. Because we can look, and we've talked about this throughout this podcast for years, we can look around us and see how nature works together. It's us who have the problem with that. And I look at these texts and realize that I see God wanting us to work together and how we're so stubborn. It's our immaturity within ourselves, within our faith, that we have to say, no, I have to do this alone. And there's times where we have to do that, but knowing the difference. And even those moments where we go it alone, realizing that we need the support of others in those times, that this is not something truly alone. As we are in this fourth Sunday of Pentecost, I pray that we are recognizing this and recognizing how much greater of things we could do when we actually work together instead of paddling upstream and looking to each other and saying, it's hard, isn't it? Instead of maybe both getting into the same canoe. It makes it easier to paddle upstream. And the more people, yes, there's more weight, but yes, there's more power behind each stroke to potentially get to where we're going or the wisdom to know maybe there's a spot we need to steer to that would make it easier to go upstream. I pray that we are willing and able to recognize that, to be able to actually move forward, to be able to hear things that maybe seem simple and we cast aside like Naaman and realize that that's actually what we needed to do. Realize that there are times we're mourning together, just like when everybody is going through a tragic thing and realizing that God is still there and that we can comfort each other by realizing and recognizing that we're in this together. 
realizing that we need to be sharing in each other's burdens and working through them together and realizing that God is still there and that God sent us out in twos to do amazing things together and not to just do them individually. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.